This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. program it is sportsnet today logan gordon and peter klein along with you from the doug lacy's basement systems downtown studios here in calgary alberta for our friends at doug lacy's basement systems crack foundation Boeing foundation walls they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation contact basement systems they're all things basementy visit them at dlbasementsystems.com hour one in the books a look at what was, a, what was a busy weekend in the world of sports. And a chat on all things Edmonton Elks with our pal Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched. Reminder, you can get the podcast moment after the hour finishes. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Still more CFL talk to come later today. We'll have a stamps report with Patrick Dumas. But we're kicking off hour two on a Toronto Blue Jays game day. Jays and Orioles ahead of the MLB's trade deadline. Jays PK finished up this weekend with a series win over the Angels and perhaps a win on the MLB trade front. Yes. Acquiring reliever Jordan Hicks. He's with the Jays. Says he's ready to go for tonight's matchup if called upon. And we get into a really interesting stretch for the Toronto Blue Jays ahead of this series against the Orioles, but very happy to uh, to chat all things Toronto Blue Jays right now, heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. You hear him on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm very glad to have him on with us this afternoon. Uh, ben Schulman joins us this afternoon. Ben, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, thanks for uh, giving us some time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, excitement level right now for the Jays got to be pretty high. They're coming off a, a big win against the Angels, and uh, management has done the one thing that players always seem to love, and that's giving them support late in the season. What's it feel like being around the Jays right now? Yeah, I, th- I think the spirits are really high. You know, I, I Caleb Joseph, uh, you know, another Blue Jays uh, radio colleague and also on Blue Jays Central on TV, talked about earlier today. I heard him on 590 saying that it's like you're you're climbing a mountain and then all of a sudden you're, you know, two-thirds of the way up and a guy picks you up and carries you part of the way. And that's what it feels like to get a trade position. And I think for the blue Jays, you know, they looked like they were struggling climbing up the mountain for a second, just because Jordan Romano, their closer who they've relied upon a ton, obviously over the last two and a half years, got hurt. And all of a sudden you feel like you've made up for a lot of that, at least by bringing Hicks in. And then, you know, you really look ahead. So when everyone is healthy and you get Romano back at what this bullpen can be, I think it's really exciting. And, And also you mentioned the series win over the angels who were playing really well series went over the Dodgers they they didn't have amazing series versus Seattle and San Diego but when you loop in the Arizona sweep it's been a strong start I think to this second half for the Blue Jays and I, I think a lot of the guys around the clubhouse are feeling really good about the team uh once Romano comes back how do you see Hicks factoring into this bullpen like what what role does he fit in when everyone's healthy and ready to go 
I think he slots in, you know, kind of with Eric Swanson as, as your eighth inning type of guy. I could see, you know, Swanson's splitter plays really well, the left-handed hitters. So maybe if it's a slightly more righty-heavy, you know, seventh or eighth inning, you use Hicks at that point. You use Swanson for a more lefty-heavy portion of the lineup. But I, I wouldn't uh, put it past the Blue Jays, too, thinking back to, like, what Andrew Miller used to do against them. If you go to that 2016 Cleveland team uh, in the American League Championship Series and that Cleveland team making it all the way to the World Series and nearly winning it over the Cubs, they had Miller as, like, a second closer, use him whenever you need to. If the bases were loaded in the sixth inning, they'd just throw him in there because they had Cody Allen at the back of the bullpen uh, doing what they needed to do to close out ninth inning. So I, I think on a lot of normal nights, six will pitch your seventh or eighth against a lot of right-handed hitters. But I, I think at the same time, um, if there is a big situation that they need Jordan Hicks to come into it and act as kind of like a second closer in a big game, they could throw him in there a little bit earlier to fight what might actually be the highest leverage situation. I definitely didn't need a reminder of 2016 and how much that felt like yeah, drowning. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I kind of referenced back to it earlier, 16 with, um, with Cleveland and 15 with Kansas City, where I said before, if you were just losing after the fifth inning, you just lost that game. Um, it, it feels like that the Blue Jays could kind of be working towards a, a bullpen similar to that, right? Yeah, I, I think you get into the really, you know, kind of fun game, obviously not for the guys involved, but fun game if you're looking from the outside of like, who do you even take out of this bullpen? Like there's going to be, you know, in theory, Romano back pretty soon. Chad Green is starting to knock on the door after three really impressive rehab appearances at single A in the Florida State League. And you have Hyunjin Ryu coming off the injured list tomorrow. Like you almost have too many guys. Does a Jay Jackson, who's been pitching so well, have to go back down for a little bit until September rosters expand or something like that again? I think it's the best problem to have too many guys. And for the Blue Jays, you're right. Like they want to be a 15 Royals, a 16 Cleveland team. They want to be, you know, the 2021 Atlanta team that Alex Anthopoulos built. They they didn't even get that much out of their starters. So many guys were hurt, but they could throw four or five relievers at you that you just knew you weren't going to hit. And the Rays have been doing that for a long time too. So I think that it's, you know, the, the tried and true way in today's era of baseball, you want to have the nastiest bullpen available. And the Blue Jays obviously are thinking that way. The only two trades they've made so far have both been to address the bullpen. Ben, was this a move in reaction to Jordan Romano going on the IL or was this a separate knee the Jays were filling? I think it's separate. I, I think they were going to look at this anyway. I, I, I think that, you know, there has been a step back this season from Jimmy Garcia. Obviously, he didn't have a great game on Sunday, although he helped them win both Friday and Saturday's games. And I think for the most part, he's been a lot better uh, over the last couple of months than he was to start the year. But if you look at him, you look at, you know, Adam Simber, who hasn't pitched great this year, but has also just been hurt who they relied upon a lot last year. And both guys that they acquired to be in the bullpen last year at the deadline are not on the 26 man roster right now for various different reasons. So I I think that they were going to look to augment this anyway. Uh, It, you know, it definitely made it a little bit more urgent maybe. And I'm sure St. Louis tried to use uh, as a bargaining tool in its favor that the blue Jays closer went down right before they were looking in the market for another reliever. But I I guess that they were going for someone to be a frontline reliever uh, kind of from the start. 
I guess the, the, the obvious question after after this move becomes, Ben, what's next for this Toronto Blue Jays team? Do you, is there another move in the, the works for, for Ross Atkins and company that you could see being realistically done before tomorrow's trade deadline? I think so. I, I still think there's one more bat to be acquired probably, and I, I still don't think you know that it's necessarily like a top five in the lineup, middle of the order type bat, but I think they could definitely, you know, be served by one more right-handed hitter. They've kind of rotated uh, the 26th spot in the roster between, you know, Jordan Luplo and Ernie Clement and Nathan Lucas, and none of those guys are really getting that much playing time. Jordan Luplo has been up for a while. He hasn't appeared in a game since Tuesday. So I think that the Blue Jays probably will make one more move, not something so major. I think Hicks is certainly the front line guy or the headline guy, sorry, of this kind of, you know, trade deadline pool that they're bringing in. But you even look at a game on Sunday where I think they load the bases in the eighth or something. Santiago Espinal has been hitting much better for them recently, homered on Saturday, which really helped them out. But they would have been served, I think, from a right-handed pinch hitter there. Not not to take Espinal's spot on the roster, but I think sometimes to you know come in for him or come in for Kirk in a situation where they might need a little bit more power. Someone who can play some second base in left field just because uh, they happen to sit their outfielders, being Kiermaier and Springer and Varsho, a little bit more than you know a Chapman or a Bichette or a Guerrero. And Merrifield, who doesn't sit much, can flex back and forth. I think they're looking for a, hopefully a right-handed hitting infielder, outfielder. If it has to just be a fourth outfielder, I think that's fine. Someone that can help them because they haven't hit lefties that well this year in general. How much does the, the flexibility that they've kind of built into this lineup help right now? Like uh, Vigio's playing in right field tonight, can also play second base and anywhere else. Espinal uh, can play a couple different spots. Uh, Whit Merrifield can play all over the diamond. Uh, how, how much does that kind of help the Blue Jays when, when they're looking to acquire a bat here in the next 24 hours or so? I think it helps a lot because, I mean, you can you can kind of shift your lineup around a certain type of guy. Pretty much as long as they acquire someone who can play corner outfield or second base which aren't that difficult they can slot them in in a multitude of ways but not feel like they have to acquire someone to go in every single night like you mentioned Biggio that's first second we haven't seen him at third in a while but he can play it corner outfield spots you have Espinal who goes second short third you have Merrifield who's played second left right this year and played first base for them last year and that just means you can play matchups really well you can build in rest days for guys like Kiermaier in his mid-30s, Springer in his early 30s, Varsho you might want to take out because there's a left-handed pitcher. I think it just allows you to find lots of different types of guys that you can plug into the lineup. Whereas last year, I mean, they were essentially set. Like, you knew the nine guys that were going to be in the lineup, and it was both catchers. One was DHing and the other one wasn't. And that was, and that was pretty much it. You would just figure out who was playing defense tonight and who was DHing between Kirk and Jansen. There was a stretch where uh, I felt starting pitching was the biggest need as they only had four of them for a while. Uh, it feels like that that's kind of been figured out, but do you think there could be a move for a little bit of extra starting pitching depth as we approach tomorrow? I'd be surprised. I, you know, I still think that it, it lingers a little bit, but I think with the move of Hicks, because he's, you know, he's not a cheap rental reliever by any means. They gave up some pretty solid prospects to go get him, including one of their top 10 guys. Uh, I think, that more than likely they stay away from it. 
Yeah, Manoa did not look great in his last start. Obviously, it, it fell apart completely in the final inning, but the first four innings, uh, I thought that he looked about as impressive as he's looked since returning from his stint in the minors. And I think, you know, tomorrow's start, too, between Ryu and Manoa, if they can just get a little bit going here between one of the two of them, get five innings of quality ball, keep them in games, which, I mean, it, it wasn't great how it ended, but Manoa did keep them in that game against the Angels when they won on Saturday. I, I think they'll be happy with that because starters are just really expensive at the deadline. I think way more pretty much than any other position. They also get signed to really expensive contracts, which could push you into the competitive balance tax for whatever that's worth. But I think right now, you know, they're top five in the league in runs against per game, even though, like you said, they've had four starters. And and at times, I think it's felt like they could really use some help there. I I think they focus more on making sure that this offense can get to the place that everyone thought it would be preseason and and the way it's starting to look uh, as we get into the second half, because they've been hitting a little bit better. Ben Shulman along with us this afternoon, Blue Jays broadcaster, Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, joining us here in Calgary. Uh, Ben, big series starting tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. We know the Jays haven't had much success against their uh, own division this season. How important is it in your mind for them to have a good series here against Baltimore? I think it's absolutely necessary, frankly. Uh, A couple times this year, maybe not to this extent because they've played well for a longer stretch now, but... They've played well. They've gone into a series with a divisional opponent, and all of a sudden they lose a bunch of games and they lose all the ground that they either made up on teams or built to push teams behind them. And the Blue Jays still very much have a realistic shot to win this division. I mean, it's not it's not the most probable outcome, but you know, a lot of a lot of systems that try and rank this stuff would say there's at least you know a 15% chance, 20% chance, and you know they're five and a half games back. It's not a, a complete mountain to climb, but they they have to perform against the Orioles. They if they take three out of four in this series, I think it's huge for them in the chase. Frankly, if they even just split the series, it's not an awesome result. But considering they're one in twelve against the Orioles and Red Sox combined, and about to play the Red Sox right after they play the Orioles. I think I, I'd at least a little bit take it if they split this series, but it, it's huge. If they are going to keep trending up and not be, you know, just a team that hangs around the fringes of the wild card trying to get in that way, they have to beat some of the teams ahead of them and they have to start playing better against their own division because they're on pace for one of the worst divisional records they've ever had. And they've been around for a while now. This does certainly have the feel of biggest series of the season so far. Uh, and George Springer's not in the lineup. Um, obviously, there, there have been some struggles there, hitting just 191 in the month of July. So I'm sure he'll be happy to see the calendar flip uh, come tomorrow. Um, but just uh, some thoughts on, on George Springer and kind of the, the struggles that he has had. When he's going, it's really going, but it's it's really not going right now. Yeah, it is odd because for about a two-month stretch, pretty much, uh, he looked exactly like George Springer again. I mean, he obviously had the tough start to the year. There was some bad luck. There was just some poor hitting mixed in there and then the sickness a little bit. But then he put together a, about a 50-game stretch of exactly what you thought George Springer was going to be. And all of a sudden, it, it's just gone a little bit away. I mean, he, he entered some environments where, you know, he's not very well liked in uh, in Seattle and LA and maybe he was trying to do a little bit too much in front of some fans that were eager to, to boo him. But at the same time, he's a veteran. And I really don't think that that was the case. I, I think that this has just spiraled on him a little bit here. Uh, there were a couple games there near the end of the road trip and, and to start the homestand uh, against the angels where 
the at-bats just didn't look incredibly competitive. I do think we saw that swing, though. I, I think that in the last game against the Angels, he got pretty unlucky. He hit a couple balls really hard, like right to the track, and he got called out on strike three in extras on a pitch off the plate, like just objectively not a strike uh, inside that should have made it a full count and would have helped the Blue Jays out a lot as they were trying to come back against the Angels only down one run with two runners on. So it's it's puzzling to say the least. Um, and I think, you know, it just got, it, it just didn't seem like the same approach from Springer for a while. He maybe, you know, he had been hitting, this is all speculation, but he had been hitting really well for contact in that 50 game stretch, but still his power numbers weren't exactly where you thought they would be. Maybe he tried to reach back for a little bit of extra power and, and got out of his rhythm. Hard to, to know. And it's probably a multitude of, of different things that I mentioned there all coming together. But uh, for the Blue Jays, you know, in a positive way, they scored a lot of runs on that road trip, even without him hitting. But, you know, on the other side, like they need George Springer to be one of their premier hitters going forward. They've gotten a lot of good production out of some guys they didn't know they would from Whit Merrifield and others. But Springer is, you know, supposed to be a, one of the top guys for them offensively. And, and the sooner that he can get back to that, which I don't doubt will be pretty soon, the much better the Blue Jays are for it. It's been a nice stretch for Alejandro Kirk at the plate. How, and how nice, I guess, would it be for this team for him to be a, a lot closer to the guy we saw last year at the plate uh, down the second half of the season here, Ben? Oh, it's absolutely massive. I, I think that when he is on, which was really, you know, first half of last year, but for a lot of his, you know, brief major league career before that in the prior years, he had been really strong for them too. When he is on, he is so difficult to pitch to. He's got a tiny zone. He's obviously not the tallest guy in the world. Neither am I. And, uh, and he has really good contact skills. Like just, it's tough to get a pitch by Alejandro Kirk that's in the zone. And he really rarely swings at pitches that are outside of the strike zone, which again is not very big for him. So you're really working with fine margins. And if he can just lift the ball, which he has really started to do a lot more recently, last four or five starts have been completely different for him. And even though his last game didn't go that well, I think you see the confidence being restored in him from everyone around the ball club when he was given a DH spot. He hadn't been given that many DH spots recently they had rolled with belts in a lot of situations that they didn't usually so I, I think that if he can be you know not even like the 900 OPS guy that he entered the all-star break with but just someone who hits for a little bit more power than he does and gets the ball off the ground a little bit more often paired with the fact he walks a ton and barely ever strikes out he's really dangerous and I really liked him in front of Danny Jansen in the lineup that they had on Sunday because the thought of Kirk you know, rolling some singles through, getting a lot of walks, getting on base like he does pretty often, and then Jansen having to drive him home, I think sets up some pretty fun stuff for the Blue Jays offensively. Ben, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for hopping on with us. I know it's a game day. They're always a little bit busier for us, but I uh, appreciate the time nonetheless. I hope we can do this again soon, man. Yeah, thanks very much. Had a lot of fun, and I uh, hope to be on again soon. Take care. Thanks, Ben. Ben Schulman. Blue Jays Radio Network joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Lots going on around this team. I'm excited to see Hicks. Yeah. Would love for them to get a couple wins in this series against Baltimore because that's, look, whether you feel great about the Jays or not, and I can understand why it feels the way it does because I don't think they've ever fully hit their stride as a team at any point this year, PK. No. The, the only... 
number that you can look at this year right now and say that's a disaster has been their record against the AL East. Right. 7-20, and 20, I believe it is. That's um, very bad. And it, it's not like it's been, oh, yeah, but they played the Rays a ton. It was like they've lost 7 to Boston, yeah. who are fine, but not a better baseball team substantially than the Blue Jays are. I would say not at all a better baseball team than the Blue Jays are. So it, it is, um, it, it's, it's a startling number to see when you, you look at how this team is doing. And even if they were to, to just squeak out a few more of those, then all of a sudden they are right in the mix for potentially a, a shot of the division and a buy through the, the wild card round, which we saw last year, can be rather valuable. <laughs> so uh, I do look at this as uh, a, a very important stretch. Like this just, this has a different feel to it than any of the other series so far this year. That this has a, a in uh, combat sports, we call it a big fight feel. That this has a bit of a big fight feel to it. And it's it's a good Orioles team that is playing really, really well. Obviously, that they are and have been all season long. But I, I look at the pitching matchups all throughout the week. Uh, we don't know what Ryu is going to get them. But aside from that, the Blue Jays, I think, have the better starting pitcher in guaranteed three of the four games. And then who knows with Ryu? Like the, the pitching should be the difference, but Baltimore's 64 and 41 without a real ace on that roster. So um, it, it's, oh, it's going to be so much fun to, to watch these teams battle it out for the, the next four games here. Jays are back on your radios tonight, kicking off that series against the Baltimore Orioles. You don't want to miss it. It is a 507 first pitch. You can listen to all the action right here. On Sportsnet 960, the fan Chris Bassett in his 10-5 and record with a 3.91 ERA going up against, uh, I believe it is Gibson going tonight. Kyle, yeah, Gibson, Kyle Gibson going Gibson. For, yeah. the, uh, for the Orioles tonight. Uh, he's 9-6 and six with a 4.68 ERA. Orioles are 48-31. First in the division, Jays trailing them with a 44-37 record again. Right here for your listening pleasure on Sportsnet 960 or for your viewing pleasure across the Sportsnet television Network. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. Stamps report with Patrick Dumas was a disheartening loss for the Stampeders in Montreal over the weekend. We'll get Patrick's recap of the game on Sunday. And me and PK will dive into just what's going wrong with this Stampeders team. That everything today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Stamps fall over the weekend to the Montreal Alouettes and now stare in the face a brutal schedule that is the month of August that sees two games against the undefeated Toronto Argonauts and games against the top of the West in Winnipeg and BC. Before we look ahead to what's next for the Calgary Stampeders, a look back to Sunday night's defeat against the Montreal Alouettes. With your Monday Stamps Report, here's Patrick Dumas. This this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. The Stampeders were on the road for their Week 8 matchup in La Belle Provence, taking on the 2-3 and three Montreal Alouettes. Calgary coming in with their fair share of injuries, mostly on the defensive side of the ball, with defensive end mainstay James Vodders being placed on the six-game injured list with an arm injury and key injuries to members of the secondary, meaning it was season debuts for halfback Brad Muhammad making his 2023 Stampeders return, and corner Nick Taylor, who started the year on the six-game injured list. Offensively, the Stamps would struggle in this one and would be evident early on with them going to and out on two of their first three offensive possessions. It would only get worse as the game entered the second stanza, as on second and third, Jake Mayer would have his pass picked off by KB on Ento. Ento jumps the route, 
getting in front of Luther Akunavanu, taking it 53 yards to the house. And folks, that would be the only touchdown of the game as both teams struggled to get much of anything going offensively. Midway through the second quarter, what looked like it was going to be resulting in six for the Stampeders would quickly turn into disaster. After getting called for an illegal substitution, the next play would result in Mayer getting called for a time count violation. Then on first and long, Jake's pass is short of Reggie Bagleton. And then on second and 19, Mayer would be sacked for the first time on the night. Stamps settle for another Perez field goal. Renee, fresh off of 2,000 points one week ago in the loss to Ottawa, reached another milestone this week playing in game 200. Perez would bang through his second 50-yard field goal of the game, and that was just before the half, this time from 53, to get the Stamps back within one score. It was 16-9 at the half. Third quarter now, the Stampeders looking to get something going offensively. Mayer would be sacked for a second time on the evening. Another drive and another Paredes three points. Stampeders defense would do their part in this game, keeping the Alouettes and Cody Fajardo to under 300 yards total offense and keeping their offense out of the end zone, having to come away with David Cote field goals instead. Late fourth quarter, Jake Mayer would throw his second interception of the day, this time in Montreal territory. Under pressure, scrambling right, throws across his body, can't do that, and Cordell Rogers is there to take it away. Stamps would get one more chance after Fajardo was unable to link up with wide-open receiver Kayon Julian Grant. Stamps would able to work it down into Alouette territory thanks to a late hit on Jake Mayer. Number 12 hit Diedrich Mills for a seven-yard gain, but probably the play of the game, at least offensively for the Stamps, what looked like an easy first down. Mayer's pass bounces right off of Tommy Lee Lewis's chest. The man known for his returns does himself no favors there. And then on third down, maybe a chance to get the first with his legs. Mayer decides to throw it to the back of the end zone and is unable to link up with Luther Akunavanu. Stamps lose 25-18, to fall to 2-5 and in the CFL's West Division. The defense came to play, maybe not in the sack or turnover department, but they were able to limit the big play and not let Fajardo do much of anything, only allowing 272 yards. Time to hear from the coach. Here's Dave Dickinson after the 25-18 setback. They played hard. Um... I have to watch the tape on it, but very disappointed that we couldn't score. And um, it's kind of a broken record as far as effort, and, and we are playing extremely hard. You wish the guys get rewarded. You wish we could find a way to get a win, and uh, uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep at it. I haven't seen any fragmentation in the room, um, but ultimately we got to start we start, got to start winning and, and making sure this great effort is is rewarded with a W. What did you see from Jake tonight? You know, he, he battled hard, um, made, made a few mistakes, but I still think he made a lot of good throws. Hung in there, it was the, the pocket was definitely collapsing. We weren't able to really run the way we want to run, so that made it a tough game because we were in drop-back pass a lot. Um, I'd like to watch the tape first before I comment. Uh, I believe in Jake, and I know he believes in himself, and the guys believe in him. And uh, He didn't play poorly. He just made a throw or two he wanted back. He's trying to make plays, but... He battled, and uh, you know I still think uh, if we just find a play or two for a touchdown, that momentum and that feeling you get, I think we could have kind of then started to play better, and it just didn't happen. Defensively, silver lining that you held them to field goals. Yeah, I mean it was one of those field goal games. Both both offenses were moving, but just stalled out, and the kickers obviously scored the majority of the points besides the pick six. So um, it, was a, it was a battle. It was a back and forth game. They played hard too. Um, like to win some of these uh you know i just feel like the the players need it they they should reward them for that effort but it didn't happen when you say broken records do you have to change things up yeah well 
I think each of us are trying to make sure we look in the mirror. I think each of us need to do that. Um, you know, I do believe that the, the group believes that uh, this group will win a lot of football games. Um, the longer you wait on that, it gets tougher. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on a five-day week now. We'll have our next opponent's Toronto, undefeated. Just show up, play well, and see what happens. Keeping this unit tight will be key as the Stamps sitting at fourth in the division, and their next four games just happen to come against the top three teams in the league, home to the undefeated Argos, then on the road to take on the Lions before coming back home to take on the Bombers and then heading out east to take on the Argos once again to close out the month. A murderer's row of teams for the month of August before playing your traditional home-and-home against Edmonton. Jake Mayer didn't offer a ton in this one, going 24 of 44 with 256 yards and two interceptions. Here's number 12 following the loss. 100% on me. We have to score a touchdown. If you don't have to score a touchdown, you're probably not going to win a game. Um, and I didn't make plays at the end of the game for us to win, period. Like, it, it's on me. Did you really feel the, the defensive pressure from Montreal tonight, just limiting that time and space for you in the pocket? Yeah, I mean, they did a good job. Like, they, they made, obviously, they made an emphasis improving their pass rush. Um, they did a good job tonight. I mean, our guys battled too, though. I mean, that's, that's a lot of drop-back pass, right? So um, our guys held our own. Um, I thought their game plan in the secondary was pretty good. Um, they did some different things. Uh, probably after their bye week made some adjustments, which was uh, kudos to them. Yeah, they made their plays when they had to, but again, it, uh, none of that matters if I, uh, if I play better, especially late. I mean, my rookie year, we were two and five as well. Um, and uh, you just take it one game at a time. I mean, you can't. I don't know. You can't. You can't look. Uh, you can't look at your record and look at your schedule and say, okay, we need to win X amount of games. Like, no, we need to win a game, and uh, that's going to start in five or six days, whenever it is, on a short week. And that's the only thing we can focus on now. But. Um, I've been here before as a rookie, and I kind of watched how you know the organization navigated through that and, and how we were able to respond from it. So uh, you know, we're gonna have to repeat that. Yeah, if it wasn't one thing, it was the other. Um, they made some plays too on us. Um, we had two chances at the end, though. I have to, I have to make better plays for us to win, and I didn't. Um, and that's the story of. Late in the game, at least, is just not uh, not making it happen uh, when we need it the most. So, great job by them. They got me. They got us, and that's it. Uh, Dave said it's starting to feel a little bit like a broken record. Mm -hmm. Tried to stay positive and the same thing game after game. I just turn the page and move on to the next one. Like like I said a couple seconds ago, uh, you just focus on one day at a time and one game at a time, and we can't get all these wins back now. We have to focus on the next one that we have. And if we play well enough, uh, we'll win. And if we don't, then we won't. And we'll move on anyway. Yeah, a disappointed Jake Mayer as he knows he needs to do something in between that week six and week seven performances for this team to be successful, uh, but still waiting for the team to put it all together in all three phases of the game as defense and special teams did their job on Sunday. The offense just wasn't there. Thank you to Stamps TV for the audio. Monday is an off day, uh, so Tuesday will be our first chance to speak with this group as they begin their Week 9 preparations for Chad Kelly and the Toronto Argonauts. With your Stampeders Report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. It's your Stamp Support every day here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, uh, leading you up to another Stampeders game day, like Patrick mentioned this week, against the Toronto Argonauts at McMahon Stadium. And uh, PK, let's 
pick up a conversation that you and me were just having in the break there. And where are we on Jake Mayer right now for the Calgary Stampeders? Because it's an interesting situation because there's been a lot of quarterback turnover in the league the last 365 days. We've seen Montreal and Saskatchewan swap starters. We've seen teams like Ottawa and Hamilton have to turn to less experienced starters due to injury. And then we've seen, you know, we've seen BC turn to what feels like the lone experienced backup in the league right now in <laughs> Dane Evans when Vernon Adams went out. And then there's the rest of the teams that have stayed healthy uh, at the quarterback position who have maintained success if you're not named the Edmonton Elks. Right. But the Stampeders are one of the rare teams. Jake Mayer hasn't been hurt. And he's been the consistent name at quarterback, but they also haven't had the success that's come with that consistency. Where are you on Jake Mayer right now? Uh, I, admittedly, I am kind of arrow trending down on, on him. Um, I and and this is after the, the Ottawa game. Like I get Ottawa's kryptonite is throwing the ball deep on them, and so that like it, it made him maybe look a little bit better than than he was. But that was something I've been dying to see from this kid: is push the ball downfield, be a, a little bit more aggressive w- with what you are doing. And it just it wasn't there again this week. And uh, it's a couple weeks in a row now. Decision making has become a, a bit of an issue. And you and I were kind of talking like this is someone who is probably like maybe this sounds like such a cop out, but I do think it's accurate in this spot. It does seem like it's a bit of trying too hard. Like, I'm just going to force it, make a play. We need a big play. Let's go for it. I'm throwing with my left hand into the end zone and it's intercepted. You know, like it's it's just weird things like that where there's a couple of things where it's like, man, if you could just not do that that would have been really great like I know you did it but if you couldn't have that would have been awesome too and it's just it's a few of those decisions right now that I think are kind of costing this team and it it has been a young receiver core I I do think that it is starting to to round into shape a little bit but I I just I've seen too many red flags from him to, to think that he might be like the guy going forward you know interesting enough again uh, can you trust the source or not? But we will <laughs> trust the source. Jake Mayer does lead the CFL in passing yards through eight weeks. What? Yes. That is uh, <laughs> the absolute truth. He is ahead of, no, not much. He's five yards ahead of Zach Kalaros and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who were off this week. Right. Uh, and next up is Cody Fajardo at 1,559 yards. But Mayer sits on top with 1,928 wow. yards. I think that's a stat that would surprise some people. Yeah. Um. I, I look, I am still I won't say confident because I, I the decision making has worried me. I still believe though that Jake Mayer can be this team's starting quarterback and a winning starting quarterback. I think the tools are there. I think the the will to be a starter in this league and do the things and put in the work that you need to do from Jake is always going to be there. I don't think that Jake takes this for granted at all. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was because COVID time existed or or what it is. I feel like we've been talking about Jake Mayer longer than he's been around. <laughs> he just passed his, I believe, 17th or 18th game started in the league. Yeah. He's essentially finished his rookie season. But for some reason, we have expectations that Jake Mayer is a seasoned expected, you know, uh, experienced quarterback in this league. And I think that's an unfair one that's been said on him. I also, whether or not you, you feel like you can judge him in full or not, I can't based on all the injuries that this team has had. The young receivers that he's been asked to, to welcome into the league, which is a very hard thing to do. 
the injuries to key veterans at different times. I'll be honest, the offensive line has not been as sturdy at times as it's needed to be. And look, you'll all say these are things that are keeping him from being great. You might say these are excuses for a quarterback not playing well. And we might both be right. Yeah. But I, I don't think I can factor in. I don't think there's been a game this season where I've been able to look at it and say there are zero excuses around Jake Mayer. Right. Whatever it is, right? Whether it's uh, his left tackle is out or his starting running back is out or two receivers have changed spots, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know that I've been able to judge him on a level playing field this season. And I also go back to the, the what I started with, with the fact that he's essentially finished up his first season starting in this league. Yeah. I'm not ready to throw out a guy after one bad starting season in the league. Taylor Cornelius has like over 20 losses just at, at Commonwealth Stadium. <laughs> and I know that's a, that's a low blow and it's low hanging fruit, but I, I just I don't know that the sample size is big enough, but I'm with you. At the same point, there uh, has there been a lot of, I think, wanting to be the guy in key moments that hasn't shown up yet? Sure. I think there's been a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the situation around him has been perfect. I just don't think he's made it better either. You know, like I, I don't know if there's been like, a, and it, it's that might be a bit unfair, but we are following a guy who it didn't matter what was going on here, right? Like it was a bunch of, no one had heard of Daveris Daniels until we did. And he was awesome. And they were like two injuries away from Bender getting out there and running routes. Mm -hmm. Like that, they, they, they have, that has always been a thing. It's football. That's going to happen. You have 65 to 70 car crashes a day and then the game's over. Um, so that, that, that is always going to be there. I'm not saying trade him tomorrow. Like quite frankly, with the way it has gone in the CFL, he is still like a middle tier quarterback in this league uh, around everything that's happening. And you look at what else has been trotted out at quarterback over the last little bit. He's not better than what's in BC, Winnipeg or Toronto uh, and probably not Cody Fajardo. But then after that, like, it's better than whatever Saskatchewan has rolled with. It's better than a lot of quarterback play that Hamilton has had this year. Uh, Crum has looked fine in a couple, but now uh, that was a bit of a dud last week. So it's on one hand, I don't think it's where it needs to be, and I don't think it's where it could be for this team, but there just aren't a whole lot of those other options right now. And I don't think you need to go out and make a change like Edmonton has. I don't think you need to go out and make a trade. I just don't know... If the next time this team is hoisting a great cup, I don't know if he's the one doing it, you know? Are you uniquely situated if you're the Calgary Stampeders in the sense of you haven't been good to start the season, but you're also somehow still not out of it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. No, right. Totally. I mean, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna sound like I'm I'm kicking them in the teeth here, but you're still a game behind Saskatchewan. Yeah. Though East is as wide open as, as anything and would have been even more had you beaten Montreal on Sunday. And if anything, I'm more convinced now on Sunday that Montreal's probably still as beatable as, beatable as I thought they were at some point. Right. I mean, yes, is it two and five and it's not great right now? Sure, but you're still not out of this thing. No, and that that might be part of why I get frustrated with it too. It's because it's like it's right there, right? Like Saskatchewan, Harris with all due respect, I think is done for the year um, that they can say all they want that he's going to come back late in the season. My boy's almost 40. All right. Like that you just, as, as someone who I'm only 33 and things <laughs> don't bounce back now, Trevor Harris in greater shape than Peter Klein, Fair. but like you, you just, as you age, those things don't bounce back as much. So I, I feel like we're going with the Mason fine experiment in Saskatchewan for the rest of the year. And that has been real bad. 
Um, and everywhere else, it, it's just kind of there. And it just, it feels like from a Calgary perspective, it's been right there, right? Like it, it was right there against Ottawa and it wasn't his fault. He played great, but it, it's right there. It was right there against Montreal. You had them a couple of times, like right by the goal line late in that game. And you couldn't capitalize. It, it was right there again against Saskatchewan in that other one. There have been times where if it's just a little bit better and quarterback is going to have those expectations placed on them unfairly. Unless, as we talked about before, every quarterback minus Justin Herbert is, yeah. is going to get blamed for, for these sorts of things. But that's part of the responsibility you take on as the uh, starting quarterback of a football team. When things are going great, everyone loves you. When things are going a little bit poorly, it is on you to, to kind of step up and elevate things. And I just, I haven't seen that enough from him yet. Again, probably unfairly from a kid who hasn't reached 20 games in the Canadian Football League yet. But it, it's just because it's been right there for the Stampeders to try to put Saskatchewan in your rearview mirror and just hide in the West that it, it, it feels a bit more frustrating, I think, to me. Well, and look, it's it's the, the tease of it all, right? Is Yeah. And especially that Ottawa game will be the, the frustrating one at, at 41 points, and you finally saw what this team can do, and that's the day that your offense couldn't get a start, your defense couldn't get a stop. Right. Right? You, you sit there and you think, okay, Maybe that was a, and you always want to use that, right? It's the, the sports cliche that we use of, of a bouncing off point, right? How do you continue that into the next week? Well, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't throw a single touchdown against Montreal, and they looked like they couldn't be stopped against Ottawa, right? So where where is that in between? Because you're clearly not as good as you were against Ottawa offensively. But I also don't think you were as inept offensively as you were against Montreal or some of these other ones. So figure out which one it is, and that's, that in and of itself is the, is the most frustrating thing of anything, and I know the one that drives Dave Dickinson and John Hoffnagel crazy because we've seen it here in Calgary. What do they want? They want to know what the result's going to be yeah. night in, night out. Consistency. Exactly. And that was the, again, regular season, but that was the hallmark of the this Stampeders team for about a decade. It was, it doesn't matter who was in, it doesn't matter who was out, we are going to go out there, we're going to win 13 to 14 games, sometimes even like 17, and we're going to be right there competing for a championship. And I thought the perfect summary of all of this was at the beginning of the Ottawa game. They throw a bomb for a touchdown, everyone's excited, they're happy, we can throw the deep ball, that's great. The next two offensive possessions are an interception for a touchdown and a fumble that's recovered by the other team. And it's just, it's that, those types of things that are just killers. And it's been a summary for the whole season. You, like you said, great game offensively, can't build on it against a Montreal team. That's fine. But I'm, I'm not going into that game being, man, if Calgary can just figure out the Montreal defense, then they'll be okay. That That's not a defense that should be giving you those types of fits. And so you just, it's the inability to string one game after the other, after the other to, to carry yourself along. Someone... At some point, you have to assume one of these middle teams is going to do it, and it's just so weird, given how the last decade has gone, that it's not Calgary at this point. Yeah, and I think sometimes that reputation can unfairly hurt you. And oh, that's for where, sure. That's where I think this has come in. Is I think we're so used to looking at Jeff Garcia and Doug Flutie and Burris and Bo and everything else that even a guy that that maybe is a step or two behind them early on in his career, we automatically go, "Why aren't you those guys? Yeah, why aren't you doing what those guys?" Bo was that guy right away. Exactly. Right? Like, it was just, he was he was in there doing short yardage, and then Drew Tate was Drew Tate, and Bo came in, and oh look at this, he's just the best quarterback in the league now. And, and that's and that's probably totally unfair to Jake Mayer because 100 oh, percent it is because you're not not everybody. And look, 
is it great while it's while the going's good and you're developing quarterbacks left and right? Yeah. And look, they thought they had another one here in Calgary. They thought Nick Arbuckle for the longest time when Bo went down at the first time. Yeah. But Nick Arbuckle's the next guy. They've developed, they continue to develop him, right? That turns out to be the, the good choice to have moved on from. Yeah. But I think now in Calgary, we've got to kind of, and maybe it's, uh, maybe you don't want to get off this of the stamps, but assuming every quarterback in Calgary is the next one. Right. Right. So it's just okay to be a good one. Yeah. Right. You don't always have to be the next Hall of Famer to wear the red and white here in Calgary. And again, I'm not saying that Jake can't do that. Yeah. But I'm just saying to have that expectation a season of starts into his year where COVID was a factor and he wasn't even the starter last year. I just don't know that it's that he's been given a fair shake at it, in my mind at least. Uh, yeah. Again, people feel differently about that. But you can't argue with some of the the, you know they can't you can't go zero and three in the red zone on yeah, Sunday. Right, you will lose games all the time going zero for three in the red zone. Yeah. You cannot score forty one game and then score eighteen the next and not score a touchdown. Those kind of roller coasters. I don't care who it is, will wind up with a losing team. Yeah, you can't be zero three at home either. Like to no. like long long term, you you need to to figure that out as well. We make fun of Edmonton, but Calgary. Less hilariously, because it's not over the span of years and years and years. Um, but Calgary is having their struggles at home too, and yeah, like it's. And I get like it. It's easy for me to be on the side of I don't think he's going to be a Hall of Famer uh, because for ninety nine percent of uh, people who play, I'm going to be right on that. But I look at um, it was a conversation. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who does the the draft coverage for the the NFL mm-hmm. uh, on his podcast, the, he was kind of breaking quarterbacks into Are you a truck or are you a trailer? And I think right now, Jake Mayer's a trailer. And I think the problem is this team kind of needs a truck. You know what? You have the young receivers. You have a couple of things where you might have a bit of an issue. I think you kind of need, if this team is going to get to the promised land or whatever, I think you kind of needed a guy who could just be like, you know what? Hop on, guys. Let's go. And so part of that is wildly unfair to, to Jake to, to put that on them. Like, hey, I know we have some struggles. Could you just be awesome for a while? That would be great. But again, this is the role that you have to take on as the starting quarterback for a football team. And I think for a long time, Bo was able to to mask a few of the things that were happening here with some of the a number of the injury issues and maybe some inconsistent play from some people. And now you don't have the best quarterback in the league, and it, it starts to show a few more warts pop, popping up here and there. So it, it's it's an unusual spot for Calgary to be in. Odds are he's probably going to be fine. Like he could be this generation's like. Kevin Glenn or Trevor Harris, or like he just, he plays a bunch and some years it's awesome and some years it's not. And some years he's a backup and some years Mm -hmm. he's not, but he's just kind of around for a while. You know, that's probably how this ends up, but it's just for right here. And right now with the situation that the Stampeders are in, it would be nice if it was just a bit better. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Uh, A couple of texts on the subject at 960-960. The fan feedback line is always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Uh, this one says, Stamps season seems reflective of the Flames season thus far. Just needed one more goal, one more save, one more play. God. That from Dan and Cochran. That's, that's pretty accurate, it's, right? Yeah. One more stop against Saskatchewan. Any stop against Ottawa. One more play offensively against Montreal. Like you, you just Yeah, it, those three and you're five and two and not two and five. Yeah, you're five and two and you're right with Winnipeg for uh, that second spot in the, the West Division. And it's just, but th- these are, uh, hey, it's growing pains, right? But the, those are the plays that the good teams make, right? Those are the plays that for years Calgary made. Um, and you look at back on it and it can kind of be 
a little bit tantalizing from a, a lesser than team perspective. Cause Oh man, we were just right there. It's like, you know, you could have made those plays though. Like at some point there's a reason you're not making them for sure. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like this Calgary team, it doesn't feel that far away. No. Uh, although two and five does seem far away. You're right. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and our pal Matt and Cochran says, Hey stamps can't lose the Labor Day classic to this Elks team. I don't think it would be acceptable to split a loss. Uh, with a loss in the rematch at Commonwealth, yeah, that's going to be once we get through August here, and it's uh, it's going to be its own month of yeah. opponents. Uh, where the Elks are in a month, and where the Stamps are for that Labor Day back to back, could be really interesting for both sides. You can't be the team that breaks either of those O's, either the like the have the, it the done o before and, you, right, yeah. or after you, right? Yeah, take care of business, get both wins if you need, because you can't be the one who's the first loss of the or the first win of the season, and you can't be the one that ends the home streak. You absolutely cannot do that one. Uh, and Mike from Huntington texts in: The Stamps have been spoiled the last number of years. Bo Levi is a tough act to follow. Give Jake at least a full year as a starter. That's uh, our Stamps discussion here on this Monday. Appreciate Patrick Dumas uh, with the Stamps report and uh, all your texts at nine six zero. Nine six zero. We'll take a break. We'll kick off hour three as only uh, a show with Peter Klein can. That's uh, when we return here on Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan.